really identify ways that finance could be an enabler of growth as opposed to a blocker of growth. And I think that's really what's what served me well in, in my career is figuring out how to help and not hurt at growth and not be the stereotypical CF no. Welcome to the first of four conversations with Steve Isom, CFO at Bloomerang, a CRM software company for nonprofits. In this episode, Steve takes us through his journey to CFO at a fast-growing company after starting his career in the banking industry, what he learned from his experiences working at bootstrapped, high-growth organizations, how he spun up the company's first strategic finance function, and more. Let's get started. My name is Steve Isom. I'm the CFO at Bloomerang. Bloomerang is an Indianapolis, Indiana-based CRM tool for nonprofits. So we help nonprofits raise money more effectively. And I'm currently based in Omaha, Nebraska. So started working remote during the pandemic and have continued to do so. Thanks for joining us, Steve. I would love to hear about sort of your story, what you do, how you got here, starting in, was it accounting or banking to finance to now being the CFO of this company? Yeah, absolutely. So going all the way back, grew up in the Midwest, uh, Kansas City, Missouri. So always going to plug Kansas City, go Chiefs. And Mm -hmm. uh, went out to the East Coast for college, went to Boston College and Historically, finance was never really an interest of mine. I think business more broadly speaking, but it was technology I was always really passionate about. So, you know, growing up, I had a calculator watch and had a talk <laughs> boy from Home Alone, which you're probably mm-hmm. too young to remember. And then... <laughs> um, Not when I know. <laughs> and then sold computers at Best Buy one summer. Um, so always really passionate about technology, but realized over time, you know, I wanted to pursue finance. So finance and accounting in college. And then, like you said, started my career in investment banking, was in the technology group. So was able to kind of continue, continue my interest in technology in investment banking, really focused on advising, you know, mid market size companies on M&A, primarily sell side projects. And then, you know, found myself thinking, hey, it's really fun to work with these entrepreneurs at the end of the run where they're selling their business. I'd like to experience the earlier days of those. So I moved over to the buy side. I joined a growth equity firm in Boston where we primarily focused on identifying bootstrapped founder-owned businesses that were looking for additional capital to grow. And that was really exciting. And I liked being in the growth part of, of a business's life cycle. And then I realized that I liked getting really detailed on individual businesses as opposed to portfolio approach. So I sought out to work kind of what I call in-house and had my first in-house job with a high growth cybersecurity company based in Boston. And I spun up the strategic finance function, which owned FP&A, a lot of sales operations and handle capital raises and found myself with, you know, really fast growing company, had a, had a lot of success there, 
we raised a really large Series D while I was there. I led that process. And then life got in the way a little bit. My wife and I, we had uh, our second kid and we were living in the suburbs of Boston and wanted to be closer to family. So moved back to the Midwest, joined a company as VP of finance. That was my first foray into taking over the accounting function too, as well as legal, payroll, benefits, facilities, Mm -hmm. um, order to cash. So those those really fun topics you don't get to deal with when you're on the FP&A side. And we had a really good run. I was there for a while. We sold that business to our largest competitor in the space. And then at the beginning of this year, I joined uh, Bloomerang as as the CFO. And it's been build mode for the last 10 or so months here. It's been really exciting. You mentioned you spun up the strategic finance function at one of the high growth companies you worked for. I'm so curious, like, how'd you go about that process? Where do you even start with something like that? Yeah. So the company was Cyber Reason. When, when I joined, the company had raised quite a bit of capital, but was really early on and on in its life cycle, less than a hundred employees, you know, less than a dozen customers. And really, I started the same time as, as our controller, and we really just started building that foundation of we needed to understand who our customers were, what the contract terms were, how many employees we have, really understanding the mechanics of the business. So we invested a lot of time in making sure that you know, the volume wasn't high. We were reviewing each contract manually. Like we were, we were set, we were really creating things from scratch. Like the joke I had was, you know, opened up Excel and it was create a new file. It wasn't taking over anything. And in that time period, we were there for about two and a half years, partnered really closely with the business. I think to be a strong finance leader, you just really have to lean in and try to understand as much as you can about the business. You know, you'll never understand the cloud architecture as much as the CTO, but you should be able to understand it enough, especially from a forecasting perspective, to be dangerous. The uh, same thing on the sales side. Spent a lot of time talking to sales and marketing folks, understanding the sales process, and really being kind of empathetic to the processes that they were going through, and really identify ways that finance could be an enabler of growth as opposed to a blocker of growth. I think that's really what's what served me well in in my career is figuring out how to help and not hurt and growth and not be the stereotypical uh, CF no. You built that entire function out. You're there for a couple of years. How many people did you start with on your team? And by the time you left, how many people were there then? Yeah, on that team, we kept it pretty lean. It was zero to start. And then mm-hmm. I left, we had three. And then we kind of had some counterparts and a Jap- Japanese joint venture that we worked with. Um, my view on team building has always been, I'd rather have far fewer high performers than a really big team of, you know, C players. And I've been lucky enough to be able to recruit and work with some really phenomenal people over time. But, you know, a really, really strong, you know, FP&A analyst or manager, you know, is is worth, you know, three or four average people, not, not just two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It comes up a lot. Um and more on the, the industry side of things, like when companies should bring in procurement or finance 
um, and like how quickly to grow the team, who should be the first hires. So it's interesting to hear people's different philosophies on, on team building. Yeah, I think, you know, when I joined Flywheel, which is the company based in Omaha, um, there was essentially no team, no finance or accounting. There was kind of one person doing um, everything from, you know, payroll benefits, you know, compiling the financial statements, um, not a whole lot of reporting out being done or budgeting. And then when I was hired, she actually quit. So I instantly was a team of zero. Um, you know, or one, including myself. And I generally think that the question about when to hire for finance, and I'll, I'll say finance here, but speaking more broadly, finance and accounting, is, is largely based on founders or CEOs' previous experiences with finance leaders or preconceived notions on what finance does. And mm-hmm. I think that especially as you're thinking about classic finance, which is, I would say, more accounting focused, more backward looking is about compliance, um, is people opt to push those hires out and maybe have a, have a part-time or fractional CFO helping on the side, putting a high level budget or forecast together. But I think that most experienced CEOs who have had good finance leaders would probably err on the side of bringing people in earlier uh, rather than later, just because they understand the various pieces of the business that a strong finance leader can actually contribute to, which is far beyond just making sure that the books get closed on a reasonable time and are accurate. So when you did start at Bloomerang this uh, this year, earlier this year, what were some of the first things you worked on as soon as you started? Yeah, absolutely. So Bloomerang's an interesting business. It was a founder-owned bootstrap business for about eight years, had a lot of success in the market, but never raised any institutional capital. And then in September of 2020, brought in its first institutional capital. And I would say that going through the exercise of kind of leveling up the company. So um, similar to when I joined Flywheel, there was kind of one person who was a jack of all trades doing a little bit of everything. And then also the CEO was doing quite a bit from a finance and accounting perspective. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, the just the investors will tell the CEO and just like I would, is it's not a good use of the CEO's time to be doing that, should be thinking about long-term vision of the company and <laughs> strategy. So the first thing we did is actually brought in a controller. So... Um, you know, my background's more on the FP&A side, and I've either had a really strong counterpart in controller or at Flywheel. Um, when I was at Flywheel, I actually outsourced all the counting, but I'm really lucky in my current current role. I've got a really strong um, kind of business forward controller. So mm-hmm. getting him spun up um, and, and going was was. First and foremost, the way the timing worked out, he actually started before me, but was able to be a part of the interview process. And then really it was, it was twofold. One is um, we immediately made an acquisition. So oh, wow. we, you know, I think I, there was kind of an initial plan, a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And it's a little bit, um, 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 a little bit of, uh, um, 
a whirlwind and we adjusted, mm-hmm. had to adjust the plan a little bit. So we closed. Uh, Wouldn't be a startup we, if you didn't right, exactly. acquire right if day one. So we closed the acquisition of one of our largest competitors at the beginning of the year. Um, so that was, that was a, a lot of work. And then mm-hmm. also, you know, we inherited a, a transaction and closed with investors and there was a bunch of um, transactional accounting and, and you know, financing work that had to get closed. But I think that really, and it, it's no, it's no different. Like the playbook of when you start, like, I think the number one thing is just really working to understand the business. Right. So I spent a lot of time meeting with other leaders in listening mode, right. Trying to understand where they were with the business, understand, um, where are the things that should be dived deeper, where are the things that maybe there's only a superficial understanding of some of the issues. And then, you know, really building out those relationships with people. And, you know, in the meantime, working with our controller kind of overhauled accounting processes and procedures, you know, getting getting flows done fast and accurately, what information lives where is really kind of like setting setting the stage. It's like you have to get the basics right to be able to start delivering strategic value to the business. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Buy Side, hosted by Vendor, a SaaS buying platform for ever-changing B2B SaaS sales. Curious how we can help your company save on SaaS? Get a free savings analysis today by visiting us at vendr.com slash save. See you next time.